was trying to figure out what the hell is all the hype about. So I went on my Spotify and I was listening to like some of her songs. I was like, Antihero's a little bit of a jam. Sip and Chat Cafe. Welcome to Sip and Chat Cafe, a safe space for stimulating conversations. No topic is off limits. If it matters to you, it matters to us. I'm your host, Satara G, and our producer, Motown Maurice. For more information about this podcast, please visit MotownMaurice.com. So you guys, on today's show, I have a really exciting, controversial topic. I know you guys like the tea, so I'm about to give it to you. Tennis versus the fastest growing, and in my opinion, most inclusive sport in the United States, pickleball. So for those of you who don't know, pickleball is like tennis. It's played on a smaller court. Well, it's similar to tennis, and and it has elements of table tennis and badminton. It was created in uh, 1965 by two dads on a hot summer day, but it's a fun sport. And I started playing back, I guess, the end of April, early, it's spring of this year, and it's really been a good experience for me. But as you, some of you may also know, there's this controversy between tennis players and pickleball players over the courts. Tennis players feel like their space is being encroached on by the pickleball players, and the pickleball players feel like they have nowhere to play. So I have, our guest I have today, Coach PK, is very informed about these issues He runs an organization called lovesetmatch.org. It's a nonprofit um, committed to tennis education. Welcome, welcome, PK. Hi, Atara. Hi, Motown. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Thank you. So do you mind if I call you coach? No, that's no problem. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It's an honor. So tell us a little bit more about um, your organization. Yeah, thanks so much. Uh, I've been teaching tennis for about 15 years, and we had an academy that I was running out of the Langham Huntington Hotel in Pasadena. Uh, so I've been doing it for quite a, quite a, a long time. USTA hired me to run their programs here in Southern California called Rec Tennis. And uh, just recently in 2019, we decided to reorganize our profit organization into a nonprofit. And most of that was because we were already doing nonprofit work by giving away free tennis lessons, working with underprivileged kids in underprivileged, underserved areas. And so uh, the USTA saw what we were doing and said, why, how did you get into this? Who are you? (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, you know, as fate would have it, uh, we were just given opportunities to teach in these areas. I live in a city called Monterey Park, Mm -hmm. which is really only six or seven miles away from East LA. And a lot of the work we do is in East LA. So even though my background is Korean, my parents are Korean, it's kind of funny that I ended up being this person in East LA teaching tennis over there. I don't speak Spanish either, which is such a shame. I really wish I could. But I really enjoy teaching in that community, and they've been so welcoming and very open 
So because of that, uh, the USTA said, hey, if you wanted to organize as a nonprofit, we could help fund, we could help you find grants, and we love what you're doing, we want to support you. So it's kind of an amazing journey where they offered to help us to reorganize and create a nonprofit, and we qualified for grants. And uh, so now we're trying to give away as many tennis lessons as possible. That is quite the opportunity. How exciting for you. That must feel, feel really good to to do that kind of work. It is. And it really isn't about tennis. Mm -hmm. um, what it's really about is education. Mm -hmm. So we are called a National Tennis Junior Learning Organization, NJTL. And what it allows us to do is to extend the classroom hours on the court. So that's really what we're doing. We're out there teaching tennis, but tennis is really the draw, right? Mm -hmm. It could be pickleball. It could be soccer. It could be baseball. Like Dodgers have an incredible program down there. So the idea is get the kids out of the house uh, off the streets, into the parks, play, uh, use their bodies, uh, increase their um, hand-eye coordination, you know, really uh, have cooperative play with each other, learn good sportsmanship, uh, learn emotional impulse control. Mm -hmm. And sports really teaches you that. Like uh, tennis, uh, you have to lose every time you play unless you're this phenomenal <laughs> person, right? So even in major league uh, tennis, uh, basically – um, the top players all lose and, and there's always only one winner at every tournament, right? So it's it's a game of losing. And so l learning to lose, I think, is the key to learning to succeed. So we never, we never fall into success, right? We fail into it. And so we're trying to teach kids, how do you fail well? How do you fail and learn? How do you control your emotions and keep moving forward? And tennis just happens to be the vehicle that I love to do it. Wow, you just said so much. I feel like I'm sitting across with a guru. One of the things that definitely not a guru, <laughs> <laughs> definitely not. No, but a tennis guru. But you know, one of the things you just said was cooperative play. Yes, and I think that is so important with our kids today. I don't know if you just heard about kids went and ran through the malls and caused a bunch of ruckus. Like I think of, when I think of those kind of things. Those happen because I think we're missing cooperative play. We're missing kids being outdoor, outdoors, playing with each other, and honestly, learning to lose. I don't think we learn to lose in these days. We're always focused on winning, achieving, but I think you're absolutely right. You can't really get to a winning place until you learn, learn to accept and deal with losing sometimes. Yeah, I'm going to totally deny that guru uh, <laughs> to label. But I do feel that culturally, the kids that I'm working with seem to have a more instant gratification mentality. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, everything we do takes hard work, right? I mean, it just takes hours and hours, Malcolm Gladwell with the 10,000 hours of practice, right? Mm -hmm. In anything that you do. So the question is, uh, what is the motivation for these young kids to do anything for 10,000 hours? It's really hard. So most of them are playing games. And in my area, uh, there's a lot of Asian American kids, a lot of Hispanic kids, and most of them are gamers. And so they come out to the mm -hmm. court and they might be uh, in elementary school, but never have played catch with their parents or played ball or ridden bicycles. or So it's very interesting to see that it's so different from my day where mm -hmm. all we did was play bike tag until our parents yelled at us to come, come in, in, right? Yeah, <laughs> be in by dark. That's right. You know, yeah, it's dinner time. Get out of the house, stay together, but be back by dark. Right. I had a, my, my my brother and I, my mom would tell us that, you know, just 
don't come back till dark, but stay together and look after each other. Exactly. So I'm all for anything that gets kids out of the house and and playing cooperatively and also just uh, experiencing sunlight. Sunlight is so healthy for kids. And mm-hmm. I, I can tell you a personal story that uh, sunlight actually increased my vision. I used to wear glasses when I was a young kid and learning to play tennis when I was in junior high, actually the focus on the ball, the ball moving so back mm-hmm. back and forth so fast, I've never had to wear glasses since that time. So it's kind of amazing that there are such great benefits to being outdoors and uh playing in a physical sport. Of course, obesity and um, and uh, having uh, problems with uh, weight issues and uh, diabetes, these are all very important issues as well with kids. And so fitness helps to deal with that. So it's, yeah, our nonprofit is really about education. How can we take the kids and extend what they're learning um, in the classroom onto the court. So for instance, with tennis, you might have the rotation of the ball, like learning to hit with top pin, learning to hit with slice, uh, the rotation of your shoulder uh, and how your muscles work and how your body works. Uh, One of the words that I love to say that all my kids have learned is homeostasis. Why is it that when the first five minutes of play, I feel like giving up, right? It's because your heart is pumping so hard, you need more oxygen. So once I've taught them, oh, that's homeostasis. Once your heart readjusts to oxygen levels, you can keep going, right? But most kids will just give up as soon as they get that huff puffs feeling. And if they never learn the science behind it, then they never learn that um, actually it's just a natural part of exercising. That translates into giving up in other areas of life too. When you first, you know, are approaching something that's difficult and you want to give up, this can kind of help you to remember to keep going and Absolutely. get out of the homeostasis. Absolutely, know? yeah. And and really that trying hard um, mentality is something that I feel like we're losing. And I'm not sure, uh, I, I need a guru to tell me how do I teach my kids <laughs> yeah. that. I have actually had a conversation with a 12-year-old on the court and he said, well, why should I try so hard? Why? Why should I try? Yeah. And, you know, what... What I'm trying to do is not give him the big picture because it's just too hard to understand. I just Mm -hmm. say, just give me five more percent. Just give me 10 more percent. Just make these baby steps happen and see if you like the results. But they've already made the decision in many cases that trying is a waste of energy and a waste of time. Why should I? That's so sad to hear, you know, because I think I'll give you an example. This past Sunday, um... I injured myself, so I was gonna go. I was gonna go to pickleball, but I wasn't gonna play. That's good that you listen to your body. Yeah, right. And, and but this Sunday, I um I didn't even want to get out of the bed and go. But then someone said, "Are you sure you'll feel better about yourself? Just come and watch. You can walk around the track. You can stretch." And I hemmed and I hawed and I huffed and I puffed and I ended up going. Great. I'm glad I went, even though I felt like there was no reason for me to go. Why should I drag myself, make all this effort, get myself out of the bed it's too early in the morning for me? But I'm glad I went because there was community there. Well, one of the things that I preach to my kids is that 90% of winning is showing up. Exactly. Right? If yeah. you just show up, and if you show up in your match, if you show up for practice, if you show up to your homework, if you show up to class, you will win. Yeah. Because what's great is the power of the human mind and the human body and the human spirit, we are so adaptable. We are so intelligent. And if you just show up, you will achieve. But most of the times, uh, 
or I should say, it seems like kids are learning not to show up because they're just already defeated. And I don't know, is it because of COVID? Is it because of the lot, the death in the world that we experienced in 2020 is just staggering? Yeah. Uh, is it because of social media? You know, there's all those things out there that make people feel like uh, I'm not as good as the next person. Mm. So I don't know, but I'm just doing my little best in my little corner of the, <laughs> the world, world. <laughs> yeah, to try to inspire kids that they can be more. Yeah, that's all we can do is just I work in our little area, do the most we can in our area. Um, oftentimes we think about, sometimes you things are terrible going on in the world and you feel hopeless because there's no big solution that you can do. But I think the big solution it's the little day-by-day things that we can do with yeah. other people that we come in contact with. I wonder what's going on with the kids that make them say, why should I try so hard? Yeah, and I think part of motivation for me is being in community. And mm-hmm. I feel like when I'm in community, I'm motivated by my peers. I'm motivated by being a part of a group that's doing something fun or mm-hmm. good or you know engaging and i do feel like maybe being uh you know so withdrawn so at home that you kind of lose that being out in community so for me when i was young it was hanging out at the mall right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hanging out at TJ Maxx and go, going to play video games. Yeah. I wasted so many quarters in that place. <laughs> My goodness. But, you know, the idea that you're getting out and you're hanging out and you're stimulated by your friends and you're you're having a, a good time. And unfortunately, I feel like most people are just stimulated by their phone and that is their quote unquote virtual community. Yeah. But it really is different. It really is different. There's a, you know, I think we, we've gone as a society, so individualistic. We don't have to leave the house. Everything can be delivered to us. We can date online. We could socialize online. All the social aspects where you would need to be in contact with another person, I feel like are slowly being stripped away from us. So Yeah. And that's for you and I in our generation. Mm-hmm. If you think about the kids, they've actually grown up in the virtual yeah. world, right? So for us, it's like slowly going away. They've never really had it. <laughs> I was just like, I was so they're already they're already more comfortable in that world than they are in the physical world. I have some of my younger cousins, they don't pick up the phone. Yes. It's text only. Right. And I'm like, this is a subject where I'm talking to you. I need to hear your voice. Yeah. I need to hear the inflection in order for me to truly understand how you're feeling about <laughs> what we're talking about. They just want to text and then they'll just disappear. And they'll send you an emoji to show them yeah, how they feel. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so coach, I wanted to talk to you about some of the partnerships you've been able to establish. Um, for instance, with the National Tennis junior learning and the LA County sports initiatives? Yeah, it's really only through partnerships that we're able to have influence. Um, and and I would say even more so with the volunteers that are a part of our organization. Uh, we have volunteers that are helping develop our website, that help with social media, um, that bring food to our potlucks, you mm-hmm. know, so that people can come and hang out. So those are all really important. And of course, the corporate organizational side where USTA, I have to give a few Huge shout out to Esther Hendershot, who is the community director for the USTA, and she has done such a great job at growing all of the uh, organizations in Southern California. So she's doing 
such a great job. So I'm really grateful for them for promoting us. And then the other very important partnership in East LA is LA County. So LA County runs many, many programs within that area, uh, girls in sports, parks after dark. Um, and they, they really create so many fun opportunities for the kids that are in underserved areas. And so we partner with them. Uh, we create uh, tennis classes, but really, again, it's just more game-based fun for these kids. A lot of kids don't know how to play tennis, but you know, I have the best time identifying Padawan Jedi kids <laughs> because sometimes I'll, I'll meet a, like a, I met a girl, um, Let's see, this is like three weeks ago who came out to one of our free classes in East LA at Belvedere Park. And we just have a little pop-up net similar to like pickleball and we use a foam ball. And she was able to hit the ball back and forth consecutively 44 times. And all the other kids were like cheering and yelling, you know, because they couldn't believe it. And then the other kids said, I want to try, I want to try. And they're trying to compete. But some kids just have natural hand-eye. And when I'm able to identify those kids, What's important to me is to talk to their parents and say, you know, your child actually is very advanced, has natural hand-eye, has never played tennis or mm. racquetball or, or anything. And it translates to almost everything, to baseball, soccer. I mean, uh, natural hand-eye is natural hand-eye. Mm -hmm. So for me to be able to connect to a parent and say, you know what, your daughter really has uh, a, a very advanced ability to track the ball and hit the ball. Can you imagine in pickleball to be able to do that 42 times? Yeah, I'm just thinking, <laughs> I'm thinking about that right now. So at any level, right, it's just amazing that she was able to do it. And so, and there are kids like that that we're finding and they would never know tennis because in their community, it's not, uh, it's not really welcomed, right? Mm -hmm. It's not looked up upon. I've even had fathers say to me, you know, tennis is not a macho sport, you know, mm. and I was like, oh, gosh, you have Rafa Nadal, the greatest <laughs> of all time. You know, I can't believe that you don't look up to him. But uh, so just to find that girl and to, to encourage the mom that there is a pathway for her. Like if she was to get into tennis and national junior tennis academies, she could actually get scholarships. So, so in every age bracket, they have about $15,000 $15, scholarships available for kids at every age bracket, all the way up to college. And then of course, at the college level, you can get a scholarship for education. So the goal for me is, did you know that there is a pathway that will help finance your child to do good? So just similar in the way that you know, basketball and soccer and baseball has done it, but they're just not aware of it. And what's really important for girls is that tennis is the number one uh, sport for women. If you look at the top Forbes list, you'll see that um, nine out of 10 women are tennis players mm -hmm. on the top list. So you're talking about you know Serena, Maria Sharapova, uh, Coco, and there's no other sport where women can actually excel and have equal pay like that. So we're really excited to give girls especially uh, a track. And I went through an Adidas uh, training program called Girls in Sports. And unfortunately, the, the, the rates are very um, sad that w girls in general are dropping out of every sport in record numbers right now. So uh, many of the companies are all trying to focus on how can we change our coaching? How can we change our uh, connection with girls to make them feel comfortable to come out and play? It's a, it's a, it's a puzzle. So they haven't been able to identify some reasons why 
young women are dropping out of sports. Yeah, I, I need to do some more research to give you some mm -hmm. ideas about that. But for myself, I just know that unless we change, uh, well, I can only speak for tennis. Mm -hmm. Ten tennis in general, the coaches for tennis are probably, the majority of them are probably over 60. So mm -hmm. that means that they learned how to coach tennis, you know, 40 years ago. And so they're still kind of in that like barking orders, I'm yeah. the man, you know, okay. kind of stuff. And, you know, move faster, you know, lose weight and, mm -hmm. you know, body image and all of that is yeah. so important right now, right? So there's a great organization called the Women's uh, Tennis Coaching Association that was started uh, out of an Australian Open champion. Her name is Sarah Stone. And she's doing such a great job gathering uh, men and women to teach them about how to teach girls and women when you're coaching. Let's change the paradigm for that. Mm -hmm. And I think this probably needs to happen at all levels of sports, right? Mm -hmm. At all genres of sports. So that's really exciting to me to be able to um, learn that and apply that. And part of what Love Set Match is, is that we have six coaches that are part of our organization. So we're sharing information that we're learning. How do we coach in community and raise the standard of uh, coaching that we have with each other? All of our coaches have federal background checks. There's a program called Safe and sport that we're all qualified for. We have to do uh, retraining every year to do that. So I feel very good that the coaches that we're putting on the court with these people are actually uh, caring about the kids and that do not have a financial incentive because we pay them instead mm -hmm. of they're tied directly to the person. So mm -hmm. is your organization looking for yes, more coaches? always, always, yeah. Um, What's interesting is tennis expanded so rapidly during COVID. Uh, I think the stat is over 5 million people joined tennis uh, from 2020 uh, that were brand new. And so the tennis courts exploded and I was teaching like eight hours a day and wow. just dying. My legs were just dying. <laughs> I wonder if that had any, because you said 2020. Yeah. I wonder if that had anything to do with people working from home. Absolutely. And so, yeah. So a lot of my clients, they were working from home and then they had all this extra time. Mm -hmm. So they'd come out for these extended lunches, <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. And they'd come and take a lesson as well as LA County uh, mandated that tennis is the safest sport to play because there's distance, it's outdoors, you know, so uh, you're not in a gym, you know, that kind of stuff. So it really became uh, very, very popular and lots of people, families, uh, older people, they all came out and, and played, which was a great thing for tennis, but it really created that um, opportunity, I think, to introduce new people to the sport and how great it is. Tennis is a great sport. My mom is a tennis player and she put my brother and I in lessons. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I, I did take lessons and play tennis when I was like in middle school and early high school. Um, my abilities more aligned with pickleball. <laughs> But I do, I do, when we did play tennis, I did enjoy it. I understand you're the diversity sub-chair for the US, USTA? Yes. If, yeah, the USTA um, uh, allowed me to be a sub-chair for the Asian American side of the D diversity and inclusion committee. Mm -hmm. So I was able to be on that committee and, and kind of share my thoughts and and. One of the best events that we had was the Asian American Pacific Islander event uh, we hosted in Monterey Park. And sadly, you know, Monterey Park is on the map now because yeah. of the terrible shooting that happened there. And you know, I see so many parallels to the shooting. You, you may not know that the shooting was 
literally four blocks from our tennis courts where we meet every week. And that community of dancers there, they basically were the same as tennis players. They got together, they danced, they had fun, they ate dinner, you know, and it's that kind of like uh, inbred connection to each other that allowed the community to grow. And that's the same as tennis. And so for someone to walk in and violate um, that community and and really our city was just staggering. So, yeah, it was very heavy for us uh, as Monterey Park. But because of that, um, the USTA chose us as the Southern California site. And so we had over 250 people show up. Uh, we invited Vanya King, who is um, actually an Asian-American Wimbledon champion, to be a part of it. And uh, she couldn't actually make it to the event, but she was actually born in our city, in Monterey oh, Park. Okay. So really excited that we have a Wimbledon champion from <laughs> Monterey Park. And and we all know that seeing that person with the same face as us is so important. And unfortunately, there are very few. There are very few Asian Americans that are in tennis that are champions. Uh, there are a growing number that are coming from China now, which is really exciting. Uh, and of course, from Japan. But, you know, I really hope that I can inspire kids to see themselves in champions in the future. What is the age group of the kids that come to your your, your camps? Yeah, we're six and up. So, oh, and up. yeah, and we have, you know, basically elementary school age kids and then teens. Okay. So we have tennis kids and tennis teens. Okay. And then we have a lot of adults, over 100 adults that we coach and teach as well. And a lot of those people actually help fund what we're doing. So, you know, without them, we wouldn't exist. And and they just look at it as community. We yeah. also have a corporate sponsor named Ballywick, which you should get him on your show because what he <laughs> does is build community uh, and through his app uh, which Motan and I use <laughs> uh, we're able to it's a free app and we're able to just connect with each other as well so that's another important partnership I think one of the ways that we can combat a lot of the things the ill things that are happening in our society these days are by building communities that's right and uh, tennis is definitely a wonderful way to do that. And pickleball too. And pickleball too, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, any community where you feel included and you feel connected, uh, you know, that that gives you joy yeah. is so important in our world right now. In, in a world that's so uh, divisive and so separated and segregated. So, it, you know, it's, it's very important that we're all doing what we can to lower the tension and create peaceful relations. That was exactly my experience Sunday, by just showing up to watch pickleball, it really changed my course of the day emotionally, you know, because yes. I wasn't heading in a good direction, yes. but I got up I went and I just watched pickleball and the rest of the day was completely I different. That. And that's all comes down to spending time with your community. That's right. You know, you show up like, oh, Atara, Motown, so glad you're here. Immediately, things are different. Right. You know? Yeah, we need that. We, we all do. need that for we sure. We really do. Mm -hmm. So I do want to take a quick break. But before we do, I was hoping you could share about where our audience can find out more about your organization, if they want to volunteer, make a donation. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So we're at lovesetmatch.org. They can visit us there and there is a donation page. The best way that they can donate is by using Zelle. Zelle is now the only organization that allows us to receive donations uh, without a fee. And people can just uh, Zelle us aces at lovesetmatch.net. But just go to the donation page. And then there's volunteer opportunities as well. And as I said, there is a team of volunteers that's revamping our website. So I'm super excited to see that. Uh, we do have an Instagram page, which is Love Set Match, and they can find us there. Over 10,000 followers. Woo woo. <laughs> so that's really fun. Thank you so much, Coach. Folks, we'll be right back. And when we come back, we'll talk about the turf wars tennis versus pickleball. What people don't realize is that our ancestors were revolutionaries. So if you have Haitian blood running through your veins, you too have the DNA of revolutionaries. The revolution will not be televised, but it will be streaming. You just heard a snippet of the six-part docuseries, Audacity of Host, which explores the Haitian-American experience of Motown Maurice. You don't want to miss it. For more information, visit MotownMaurice.com. All right, folks, we're back. Now it's time to spill the tea, Coach. Tell me, mm -hmm. is pickleball really the fastest growing sport in the United States? What's your opinion? Well, I think there are a lot of myths and falsehoods um, that people use in media in general. And unfortunately, it's built into this debate between tennis and pickleball. So... You know, fastest growing means like if I had five and it went to 10, that means that I grew by 50%, right? <laughs> so I could take any statistic and say, I'm the fastest growing sport on any given day, right? Um, the If you, like I have a US, um, I have a USA Today story in front of me that just talks about the numbers and what is the numbers for tennis and what is the numbers for pickleball. And so they quote uh, the numbers for pickleball at about 3.3 million and growing. So that's awesome. That's huge that it's grown there. And even though you said in the beginning that it started in 1964, it really started during COVID, mm. right? I mean, actual, and you yourself are like one of the people who joined just in the last year. So 3.3 million, whereas tennis during COVID actually grew by 5 million. So just the growth of tennis within COVID was more than all pickleballs players combined. That doesn't even include the 27 million people who play pick, uh, tennis normally. Tennis is a college sport. Tennis is a league and junior sport. Um, tennis is an Olympic sport. You know, tennis is a, is one of the largest uh, bodies of uh, sports in the world. So it's not really a comparison, right? I want to give lots of love to the activity of, of pickleball because it is a great, healthy activity. But let's, let's not go overboard and say <laughs> that it's equal because it's just not equal. You know what? I, I, I ha I'm having to say before I was really fired up over pickleball <laughs> <laughs> before we got before we sat down at this table together. But you continue to show me that maybe my fire is in the wrong direction. No, 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 no. It's not in the wrong direction. I, it, it's it's great that you are passionate about your health and fitness activity. That is so important. I want you to keep doing it. I want all pickleball players to keep 
finding health and and success in their life. I mean, pickleball as an activity is so uh, fast and easy to pick up, right? It's very accessible. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of uh, like physical training. Uh, you can just jump on the court and start playing. I've played it a lot. Mm -hmm. I started uh teaching uh, pickleball in Azusa for their program. I was part of pickleball in Monterey Park as well when it first started. So I do understand the, the fun and easy access to mm -hmm. it for sure. Yeah. And that makes me think, you know, because when I first heard about this um, issue with pickleball and tennis, I was really like, oh, we should share the courts and, you know, why can't we all just get along? Right. But then as I hear you talk about tennis being a pathway to education, that really shifts my perspective. Like tennis is a pathway to a solid future for right. some people. Right. And pickleball is a fun activity. Exactly. But it's not necessarily creating a pathway to a future. Right. right? I think that we do have to find a way to share the resources, but... I'm, I'm having this conversation with you is totally changing. It was just making me think more about this feud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and if you look at the age demographic as well, right? It, uh, the people who are playing pickleball, um, many of my friends who were tennis players, uh, former tennis players, they got injured, uh, they can't run, you know, those kinds mm -hmm. of things. Pickleball makes it so that they can ha still have fun, still get fitness. And it is good cardio because you're moving constantly. Oh, yeah. And then the games are fast. So the rotation is fast as well. So there is really a lot of benefits for it. And I'm actually all for pickleball. I'm all for any health and fitness mm -hmm. sport, right? That helps people. Um, but yeah, the, demographically, what we're talking about is mostly older people. You know, there's a boomer generation that really need health and fitness. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited for them. But let's keep uh, the courts open for the young people who are trying to learn and trying to come up. And unfortunately, in California, there is such a shortage of courts because it's a real estate issue mm -hmm. um, that, that you know, usually kids would be able to just walk to the park and practice tennis, especially at the high school level. Uh, one of the interesting things about tennis is that most kids start to play tennis in high school. They join the tennis team. It's basically their first experience, mm -hmm. right? Now, they may, may have taken a class there. They play tennis. They bond. It's this awesome team experience. They have a lot of fun. Then, the, you know, they're not really good enough to play college. So then mm -hmm. they drop out. They get a job, they get married, they gain a lot of weight. And then they say, you know, 20 years later, I used to play tennis. I should go out and play again. <laughs> exactly. I'll play pickleball instead. <laughs> or, or I'll play pickleball exactly. instead. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And so there, there are always lots of alternatives, but that's usually the pathway for tennis. And so that tennis high school experience is so important for the growth of the sport. And, you know, kids they just used to walk out to the court and just play and hit and have fun. And if there aren't courts to play in practice, then of course they're not going to do it. Accessible courts too. Cause you know, I'm I, free. I, I, and I free. was just about to say, I live walking distance to the Beverly Hills courts, but yeah. that requires a membership yes. and a whole lot of other nonsense. That Which unfortunately buys into the stereotype that, you know, tennis is only for the rich. And that's a big part of our mandate for Love Set Match as a nonprofit is we really want to flip the script on that. We are trying to make it super accessible and allow kids who can't afford it to enjoy the 
incredible benefits of it and the benefits financially and career wise. Um, you know, even just playing any sport while you're in development as a child has already shown that it increases your ability with leadership and increases your decision making, your emotional response. So any sport we can get kid to kids to play while they're in education will increase their educational level. Yeah, that's so important. The problem between tennis and pickleball is real estate. Real estate. Yes. And so the problem is, unfortunately, here, especially in Southern California, uh, tennis courts are going away and they're not going away because of pickleball. They're going away because the people who own them or the people who are connected to them um, don't see the value of the property. They'd much rather put a condo up, mm. right? So there's uh, like Weddington uh, up in uh, the Valley. It, they're converting those, I think it's 15 courts to condos <sighs> and, you know, uh, the, the, the beautiful tennis court that was on top of the YMCA downtown has been closed. It used to be Ketchum YMCA, I think. And uh, it was on the top uh, of the World Trade Center. Isn't that, you filmed something there, right? Well, that's where I play basketball. That's where, okay. The, I heard about the tennis being um, played on the roof or yeah. somewhere there. Yeah, I actually but played there before. I didn't so get great. a chance to, but then I heard that the contract was up and then I never got a chance to play there. Yeah, and so, you know, all of these corporate organizations that own these properties are making these decisions that it's just not worthwhile. It just doesn't make them money because the, the value of real estate in LA is just insane, right? So- so I feel bad for pickleball players. They don't have a place to play, right? But I, I wish that pickleball players would understand that it's it's like as if I came into your house and I started cooking in your kitchen and you were like, who the hell are you to come into my house and start cooking and using my kitchen? You know, and maybe that doesn't carry over because it's not really it's not really your house, like the tennis community. But, you know, obviously that's how they feel. They've been playing here. Let me give you an example. There is uh, a community of players in my city, in Barnes Park, that has been playing on those courts for 30 years. They play every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Now they're seniors. They started, of course, when they are in middle mm -hmm. age, right? They play and then they go out to lunch every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's their life. Yeah. And unfortunately, the pickleball players are very aggressive and, and want to kick them off those courts. And they always say, well, there's lots of other tennis players places to play. Why don't you go there? And, you know, for them, they feel like, hey, this is our house. This is where we belong. Why are you taking this away from us? And thankfully, the city has been open enough to allow them to stay there and, you know, to try to create space for both communities. But, you know, we've had pickleball players uh, go to them and say, tennis is a dying sport. Just give it up. Embrace the future. And <laughs> I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah, that seems, I was going to, that was going to be my next question. Like, is you know, this idea that tennis is a dying sport, even I know that that doesn't even make sense. Not even looking at facts or numbers or anything that just doesn't make sense. Where does that myth come out of? I mean, it's just the passion for your own community, right? I mean, like whenever you're in your community, you are super proud. You're maybe ethnocentric is a way to say it. Mm -hmm. You're super proud of what you are. And and I love that. I love that they're passionate about it. And I have many friends. I, I can tell you one friend in in that comes to my mind. He hated pickleball people. He played tennis <laughs> and he would always say to me, thank you so much for all that you're doing for tennis so tennis can grow, you know? And then he hurt his wrist. <laughs> <laughs> and then he went away and he came back and he says, I can't play tennis anymore. Now he's playing 
pickleball. pickleball. And now he's hurt his back in pickleball. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah <laughs> because, the lunging will get you. <laughs> yeah, and the, and the reaching and stuff, right? And people don't realize pickleball is a very fierce activity for your body. You need to train mm-hmm. just like you used to do in tennis. But unfortunately, they're not doing it. They're just showing up. I, I feel like there's room for both of these activities to coexist. We just haven't figured out how to get there yet. What are some of the things that you're aware of that the city is doing to usher that in? Yeah, I think I think it would be great if pickleball players um, really pushed for creating new spaces for them to play. They really want to have a pickleball court where it's set up specifically for their sport. Why, mm-hmm. why wouldn't you want that? Why would you want to use like a space that isn't set up for your sport, right? Um, I understand it was started on someone's, you know, uh, driveway and that's totally cool that you can play it anywhere. And that's the cool thing about pickleball. You can play it in gym. You can play it indoor. You can play it outdoor. You can play in a parking lot. You can just set up a net. And that's what I do at schools where we teach tennis. We just set up a net and play foam ball, you know, Mm -hmm. so it, there, there are opportunities, but if you wanted your sport or activity to become a sport, then you really need facilities, right? You need coaches, you need training, you need, and um, so hopefully the pickleball community will raise funds, will start a organization, you know, and will actually do what tennis did many years ago, mm-hmm. built out all these tennis courts all across the country and help facilitate that, worked with Parks and Rec, you know, all of that. Instead of just, you know, it, it would be the same as if pickleball people just pushed in on all the basketball courts, right, or on all the the volleyball courts or all the gyms and they just said, Hey, we're here. So you're out. Right. So I play, we play pickleball at the, um, Koreatown Y on the roof, which is a tennis court and also a basketball court. And we chalk out the lines for the pickleball court. I mean, I will see, you can see the frustration in the basketball players when they show up to play and pickleball still encroaching into their into their time. And I personally, I am sensitive to that because I think if we're sharing space, we should be mindful of the other groups that have to use the space. How, how would pickleball players go about advocating for their own courts? Yeah. I mean, I'm not a pickleball player in mm-hmm. that sense. So um, I don't know the ins and outs of advocating, but I definitely know that they can, right? Mm -hmm. They could talk to commissioners because they're doing the same thing to try to take over the tennis courts. They're advocating for their use of the tennis courts. They're talking to park commissioners. They're talking to city council members. You know, they're trying to get it on the agenda. So it's it would be the same. And I think every city has space for pickleball. There isn't a city that doesn't have space. It's whether or not they have funds, right? Uh, I have a really good friend named Bob Mitchell in the Upland area, and he has done such a great job at creating uh, pickleball spaces in his area, fundraising, getting corporate people mm-hmm. involved. Um, even our city, Monterey Park, they actually converted this one area that um, at, at a park that I'm not sure what it was before, but it wasn't a tennis court. It was just this open space, and they created this beautiful pickleball uh, space for them to play. But as you know, community wants to be in community, right? Right. So even if they create a space for them, it doesn't guarantee that the pickleball players are going to go there. They might still want to 
be on the tennis court because that's where they hang. And I think um, it would be nice if pickleball players were a little bit mindful that if there's a space created for them, let's go play there. Yeah. I, I'm also, it's making me think of like, how can tennis players work with pickleball players and help them get their own courts? You know, it's a, it seems like this feud could be an opportunity for a relationship to help each other, you know, they both want the same thing. Tennis players want the courts to themselves. Pickleball players want a court to play on. So why not work together to help the, you know, to get some pickleball courts? Yeah. I mean, that would be like saying all of the sports should help pickleball to get pickleball courts. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I just don't think that's their passion. So I just yeah. think it it's up to the pickleball community to create their own sport. If, if it is growing as big as it is, and if there are that many people, then they need to find the funding as well. Right. So I think it's on them. Of course, it'd be great to have partnerships if if pickleball community was open to partnerships with all the other sports, um, there is money available for mm -hmm. sure. So yeah, but, but it's, it's really a real estate issue. I, I honestly believe that if pickleball was separate and had their own space and then tennis, there would be no issue at all. Zero issue. Right. Yeah. I don't think tennis people care about pickleball, uh, you know, like as a sport, whether it, grows or doesn't grow they just want to play tennis right mm -hmm. basketball people they just want to play basketball yeah <laughs> you know? everybody just wants to do with you know what they right. want to do which is fair right you know so yeah unfortunately it's just that that sport itself is you know it, it feels like it's encroaching on the other spaces and they don't have a space for them and I feel bad for them. I wish that they did have a space. I don't have the money to just buy them a space mm -hmm. but hopefully the people who are passionate about it can find the money. Yeah, that's what needs to happen. Is the city, so I know that you've had to, um, so I've heard that tennis courts are being actually, is it true that some tennis courts have been turned into yes. pickleball courts? Yes, I think many. Mm -hmm. So courts that were primarily for tennis are now only for pickleball. Yes. Uh -huh. in, in our city, there are wow. two courts that were only, and this is the courts where the seniors used to play that I told you about, mm -hmm. uh, the group that's been there for 30 years. And that's why there was a big kerfuffle. Two of those courts were taken over by pickleball people. And they just said, they just demanded that these courts be pickleball. And so they went to all the city council meetings, they made their own pickleball shirts and you know, they protested and stuff. And uh, one of the people who is on the recreation committee is a pickleball player as well. So it's always political, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, yeah, those two courts are now pickleball priority courts and they actually painted the lines, which you talked about chalk mark. Um, for a tennis player, when there's chalk on the courts, I know it seems like a small thing, but it's actually very distracting to know if the ball's in or out. And, yeah. and actually it's a little bit of a safety issue as well for the courts when they paint different lines uh, on the tennis courts for tennis players to play. The paint is actually very slippery, right? Mm -hmm. um, and the ball skids. And so- you know, we're all trying to do the best we can with the resources we have. It's really up to the cities and we're all at the mercy of the cities to do whatever they want to do. But yeah, it, I, I wish that pickleball had their own space for sure. So do I. I <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I don't, I, um, I love playing pickleball, but I don't like the idea of, um, 
encroaching on someone else's right. space right. or taking space from someone right. else. I don't like the idea of that. Yeah, and I just would remind pickleball people that the tennis community, the basketball community, you know, they're much larger. Mm-hmm. I mean, m- much larger. And so they're the like let's say for instance in our city, right? We have five tennis courts. But the five tennis courts, it, most people are playing singles, right? Like Motown and I go, we just go hit the ball back and forth. Mm-hmm. So that's really only on those five courts, that's really only 10 people playing at, on all five courts. Now, sometimes we'll play double, so you could add 10, 12, 15. But when they took over the one tennis court, then that becomes four courts. That's already 20 people playing pickleball, which is more than all five of the tennis courts. So it really isn't a fair comparison. And pickleball can be played anywhere. It doesn't have to be on a tennis court. It could be in a parking lot. It could be on any ground, Mm -hmm. right? They can create a pickleball space. And tennis courts, tennis can only be played at a higher level on a tennis court. That's all we have. So we can't just go hit against the garage. (laughs) We can't play a match there, right? And again, it goes back to the youth track. How do we teach kids to excel at what they do? They need 10,000 hours. Where are they going to practice? I think that's the point that has really kind of swayed me here because before I was like, oh, why can't we just share the courts? But now I really understand why, you know, in fun and games, sharing the court, yeah. But when we think about tennis being a pathway for success, it makes sense why tennis players need their own courts undisturbed, you know, for the hours that they need them. Yeah. There's probably more junior tennis players in America than there are pickleball players. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and that doesn't even count like college and, you know, it's an Olympic sports or all these people are training for that. So again, if pickleball could just understand the size of the people that they're trying to accommodate, I'm not saying one sport is better than the other, but really there are so many more players wanting to play tennis than there are pickleball players. Mm -hmm. And I think they forget that because they believe the hype, right? Like we're the fastest growing sport, you know? It's (laughs) also about the end goal too. Like I'm just, I guess fitness is important, but if someone needs to use the tennis court because they need to get their hours to get their scholarship or whatever, right. I will go hit my pickleball. Well, that's because you're an angel. Yeah, well, no, but many, many t- I think a lot of people aren't that. thinking about. Yeah. yeah well, and and can I say that many, many tennis players wouldn't do that either? Like adult tennis players would be like, no, this is my time, you know? So it, it's, it's human nature, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess I come from a community. You know, I'm very community minded. I love I it. That's why I'm here. On the back for that. <laughs> um, we need people like you. Yeah, for we sure. need more of that. <laughs> so, for instance, uh, most elementary schools, if they're near a tennis court, they'll just walk the kids over and play, right? Mm-hmm. And the, that's hundreds of kids that are walking over to a tennis court. Like in my city, uh, Macy Intermediate Middle School walks over to the four courts that I run there. If I lose one or two of those pickleball uh, courts to pickleball, then that means the thousands of kids that are at that middle school only use two courts. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, it's, it's a tough call. It is a tough call because I think about the role that pickleball has played in my life. You know, I had a major surgery and I had a whole, there was a lot of things going on in my life leading up to that surgery. And um, pickleball, and so after the surgery and I was able to start moving around again, I started playing pickleball. And it really just, 
I'll be honest, I was probably heading towards a depression after that. Sure. But then I started playing pickleball. It's great. I'm going to get emotional. No, I feel like that's coming. great. That's <laughs> I started great. playing pickleball and I met this community and I started moving in my body again. Yeah. I was feeling, you know, because prior I had a hysterectomy and prior to that, I was just feeling like, you know, crap in my body. Yeah. And then being physical. And then I used to be an athlete. So that wasn't helping me. You know, I wasn't yeah. feeling great about that either. But, you know, being on a court again, hitting the ball, feeling my body move, playing with other people, interacting, laughing, like that really, really just was life-changing for me. So beautiful. I and love then, it. Yeah. And then that's how I became so passionate about pickleball because yeah. I was like, you know, I don't have the best knees anymore. Right, it's right. All, probably all those triple jumps. Yeah. I'm counting on uh, getting uh, titanium knees <laughs> yeah, sooner or later. Exactly. <laughs> but, you know, pickleball really got me active again. It got me enjoying being active. I was able to get over that homeostasis. So there you go. That you talked you about. Yeah. And so. Burning um, calories. Yeah. It really. I think that's where I, when I, and then I heard about this feud, I was like, why? Pickleball is good for people. But hearing you talk about. And it is good for people. It is good for people. It is. It absolutely is a great way, I think, for people who have trouble moving or just getting back into exercise or people who are overweight and trying to lose weight. It is a great way to get active again. Yeah. And mostly because there's a great community around it, right? Exactly. Like, uh, the, like my friend who is one of the friendliest people you would meet, who doesn't kind of plays tennis, but really doesn't bad knees operations, all this stuff. But plays pickleball, and she's so good at building community around her, right? So I'm sad to lose her on the tennis side, mm-hmm. but it's she's doing what she's doing, and that's great. And I, I think that people need that, as we said in the first segment. So we definitely want to encourage that. And this issue, the global issue of real estate in Los Angeles, and really all over uh, the United States, that's the question: is can can we um, find some organization within pickleball that actually targets the growth and the space because yeah. that's really the who, solution. Who within the pickleball world is willing to step up and lead the charge right. to get their own space? Like if pickleball players want to have a space to play, right. they need to be able to. They need to be willing to do the work to get their space to play, just like tennis players have done, just like basketball players have. And done. And I honestly, I think they would be so much happier if they had oh, their yeah. own space, right? Like it's just it's just yeah. for us. And and there are cities that are doing it, Montebello. Uh, created a, uh, a pickleball space. I know most tennis in Whittier has converted tennis courts now, I think four courts. So they now have 20. Uh, so so there there are spaces that are start being started to create it. And mostly because they look at it from a commercial aspect. Mm-hmm. I can't believe that a pickleball racket costs 300 bucks. I mean, my <laughs> gosh, that is the biggest <laughs> ripoff in the world. But anyways... So, you know, it is great that commercially, and even here in West LA, uh, there's a bicycle store that started having pickleball on their, in their parking lot. Do you know who I'm talking about? No. Um, so there are uh, churches have started having pickleball in their parking lots. There is a lot of space where pickleball can be. It's not limited to a tennis court. You know, I, at where I work, um, it's, in, it's actually in West LA, right at Santa Monica and Sepulveda. And there's two parking garages there exactly. where the top level would be perfect for pickleball. Exactly. Nighttime pickleball and weekend pickleball. I will probably go talk to the 
property manager about it. Yeah, it takes very little to set up a pickleball yeah. court, really. Yeah. You know, so I think that's the future. I hope it's the future. Um, I feel like there there is a solution. As you said, some of the older tennis players that are going there, they they're boomers. They got money. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think they'll they'll find a way. And Those boomers will be playing pickleball soon enough. That's right. <laughs> it is the aging demographic, really, of the world, but also of the United States. And so, because of that, uh, you know, we are de- definitely going to have a rotation within our sport where younger people are going to replace older people. Which for sure. is so important. Why those younger people have a place That's to right. play so they can rotate in. And it's important for young people to play any sport right exactly. now. And we're that's an epidemic, really, in yeah. my opinion. So we need to create as much space as possible for youth, uh, yeah, to play any sport. It's almost like this feud or rivalry, or I will call it a miscommunication <laughs> between pickleball <laughs> that's so nice of you. <laughs> and tennis. It's almost like a little microcosm of the things that are actually happening in our world. You know, if you break it down, it has all the aspects, politics, real estate, you know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, it's a tough call. But, uh, you know, uh, back to the mission of our nonprofit, health and fitness is so important. And it's it's so important for the mental health of people. As you just shared yeah. in your personal story, and mental health is such a huge issue in our world right now. And I really believe that, that pickleball, tennis, soccer, any sport where you're out there uh, sweating and, you know, creating... Uh, new blood cells. <laughs> Sweating out those toxins. Your body was created for that. Exactly. It was created to do that. And so if you're not doing it, you're not doing what you're created to do. So yeah. I'm all for that. Yeah. Well, Coach, thank you so much for coming on my show today. You're so informed. And this is, it's been, you've given me so much to think about. I'm a little bit of a researcher. So there's a lot of what you, and what you said, I want to go off and research and see how I can help, you know, my community here a little Bearcrest Heights, <laughs> get their own pickleball court. That's right. Yeah. We need that. And we need community leaders to lead. So yeah. if you could be one of those people, that's great. Whether you're, whether it's tennis, whether it's pickleball, whether it's soccer, we need parents to step up and be that uh, leader and build community. I think that's the, the hope of the future. It really is around community, wherever you can find that community. Like I encourage people, if you have a passion Find that community and be a leader in that community. Doesn't mean you have to, to be a leader. Doesn't mean you have to be in charge. That's you know, right. You could just live by example. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the communities I'd love to share with you, if you don't mind, is I, we actually have a podcast about tennis. Yes. So our our podcast is called Tennis Pal Chronicle, sponsored by Tennis Pal. And uh, I would invite people to listen to that as well. They can just wherever podcasts are heard, they can find it. You heard that, folks. Tennis Pal Chronicles. That's it. All right. Fantastic. <laughs> what, what a wonderful blessing to be here with you on this Labor Day. Thank you so much for allowing me to share uh, a little bit of what we're doing in the world. Thank you so much for coming. It's been great. Actually, very good for my mental health. And thank you, Motown, because you made it all happen. He sure did. He's the been talking about having strong, you on the podcast Strong, silent type the here in the, yeah. in the corner. <laughs> I made him smile. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, once again, if you want to support what we're doing, love to hear from you. Please visit lovesetmatch.org and uh, send us an email. Uh, like us on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel as well and also on uh, Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much, Coach PK. So 
Hit that subscribe button so you never have to miss a single episode of Sip and Chat Cafe.